Welcome to the Dividend Cafe weekly market commentary focused on dividends in your portfolio and dividends in your understanding of economic life. Hello and welcome to today's COVID and Markets brought to you by the Dividend Cafe. This is David Bonson of the Bonson Group and I hope you all had a wonderful Memorial Day weekend. Um, I think that our our country had a much better Memorial Day weekend than had been expected uh, as recently as just a few weeks ago. We're going to unpack a lot of that. Uh, The health data and the reason why um, I say something seemed to have gone better than maybe would have been expected just uh, a short time ago. But um, we're also going to talk about the market today where for – I guess it isn't technically Monday because of the holiday yesterday, but for the second opening day of a week – in a row, uh, you had a, a big move higher. The market was up almost a thousand points last Monday, and then up uh, at one point almost seven hundred today. We closed up five hundred and thirty points in the Dow, and uh, I'm going to argue that the the biggest factor behind it was overall optimism around economic reopening, and the fact that the health data is thus far really strongly confirming the ability to continue safely reopening the economy. There is some tethering into the whole mix of vaccine optimism. Um, this time a new uh, a new program that I'll, I'll talk about in a moment. But I'm of the mindset that, that the market's too large to be fully being moved by just the mere whisper of yet another promising vaccine situation. I think those headlines... Uh, have an impact both negatively and positively, depending on the way the wind is blowing. But um, I, I think the much more logical explanation of today's market move is just that overall optimism on economic reopening. Um, as we, <clears throat> and by the way, the the announcement on the new vaccine program had more color on it here this morning. But futures were up over three hundred last night. The Nikkei in Japan was up over five hundred last night. The Nikkei is backed above twenty one thousand, by the way. Um, and so, yeah, when I woke up this morning, futures were up five hundred. Uh, but again, I, I think that's just kind of the macro assessment of having more optimism and um, further confidence in the fact that a reopenings are continuing and B, they're happening with uh, a reasonably benign health environment, certainly relative to some of the more dire expectations. So there isn't a whole lot of negative news on the health side for me to share, and yet I'm searching for it you know, every day because I want to give a very holistic coverage to, to the way in which we evaluate the health uh, aspect of things. Um, the gross absolute level of mortality in the U.S. is is awful, and and I you know whether or not we're already above the number or soon going to hit the number that hundred thousand hundred excuse me hundred thousand person figure for uh, U.S. mortalities COVID related is coming and and uh, I'm very open to the idea that there could be more than that based on underreporting or it could be less than that based on on overly aggressive, um, you know, labeling of, of COVID. My point being, it's no matter what, it's just a really high and tragic number. And so that's going to maintain its place as the most uh, distressing aspect of all the, the health issue. But right now, when I'm referring to more positive news, I'm referring to the trajectory of where we're headed. You had case growth yesterday of only 1.2%. 
it, case growth was also below 20,000, um, which is the first time we've seen that. And if things hold for Tuesday's reporting here today, it looks like we're going to be well below 20,000 today. Um, the daily deaths were only 500-ish yesterday, which, again, on a macro level is by far a new low. The running daily average of new deaths has been cut in half over the last month. Um, so, it you know, I, look, I am skeptical uh, of all the Memorial Day data because you have holiday reporting lags and glitches and things like that. We got to kind of let some stuff play out. We're using averages on a rolling basis. And we're doing that after every weekend just because we want to keep things, you know, um, I, I think you just get a more accurate read when you're, when you're running off of daily average, uh, uh, like two trailing averages as opposed to, you know, daily numbers. But let me tell you this new testing on Memorial Day came in at 441,000. Okay, so if there are lags or glitches, that number is going to be higher, not lower. And yet the new, uh, uh, so 441,000 was our new daily high for testing, and the positivity rate from that was 4.3%, which is a new low. So that's really the combination of data points, the, the gross testing and the positivity ratio out of that testing that I think is primarily providing confidence. Um, New York City, the uh, daily new cases are down um, 96% from their peak level, which would have been a little over a month ago. Um, the uh, Let's see, what else do we want to focus on? The spread in India and Brazil, I, I think, is a, a negative. I don't see a substantial um, impact to... Uh, some of the macroeconomic considerations from it. And and I think there's a number of different reasons why we wouldn't be surprised about it relative to population too. You know, their spread is nowhere near what a lot of other highly populous countries have experienced, but it's still a lot of people. And so there's reason to, to, you know, be sad for what is taking place in some of those countries. Um, they're not, uh, they're not, you know, experiencing the same level of containment that some of the other Western countries did. Um, but, but when you look to like Western Europe, for example, Denmark um, had aggressive reopening and their numbers are looking fantastic. The UK is actually quite behind Austria and Denmark in their reopening, um, but they uh, really have had a substantial decrease uh, in their case growth and, and their um, mortality growth. And so, uh, and really um, a better outcome thus far than Germany and um, some of the other countries, excuse me, than, than um, some of the other Western European countries. Germany within Western Europe has maintained its substantially better outcome than Italy, France, Spain. So you, you and that's with quite a, a loosening of restrictions there. Um, I do have a couple medical uh, journals that I read through this morning, one from New England. Again, they've been just stellar. I mean, a lot of it is above my head medically, but as much as I'm able to unpack it and and get some of my doctor clients to help me understand some of it, um, this concept about COVID being unique in its attack on blood vessels around the lungs as the primary cause of death, as opposed to more traditional pneumonic-like uh, activity, um, I think has profound impact on how they treat it, but it also explains a lot about the virus. And so there is a, a, a report I can share if those are interested. 
around the pulmonary and vascular implications of uh, coronavirus versus um, some of the more respiratory impacts that we have studied under SARS and 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 uh, H1N1. Uh, then there's a study at Princeton regarding why climate may not be as huge a factor in limiting outbreak, but understanding different susceptibilities might be, and that I thought was interesting. Um, so again, these these reports are available upon request. From the vaccine standpoint, um, Merck uh, announced a large collaboration with IAVI. The reason why IAVI, which is a, a big research organization, is interesting is they were the ones who successfully created a vaccine for one of the strands of Ebola. And so with that kind of track record, this kind of funding, and then that manufacturing and distribution capacity behind it, this uh, would show a lot of promise if it gets successful. Okay, we're going to move to market technicals. Um, Look, even before today's rally action, the S&P was right up there at its 200-day moving average, and surely today went ahead of that. Um, it makes it very hard for the bears who are technically inclined to reconcile the bearishness with, um, you know, continued short-term bearishness in, unless they just abandon their belief in technical analysis, which is generally what I think a lot of technicians do when the charts go against their their conclusions. Um, the trading range thesis, which we hold to, that there's some level on the low end and the high end and that the market is likely to stay between for some period of time, kind of a sideways thesis, um, I think has really been playing out. I mean, it's subject to change any time on the high end or low end. But something between twenty two and 26,000 has been our call. We got above 25,000 today. Um, so the, the range itself is inched higher, which is technically very constructive, but that sideways thesis, I think is still very operative. Now, hedge funds are starting to buy long. Uh, the Goldman Sachs prime brokerage report this morning had leverage, net leverage up 3.8%. Um, fast money in the market does leave it susceptible to fast money leaving the market, and with leverage coming back in, you know, that's something we have to watch. But it, right now, I mean, the leverage isn't anything excessive. It's just reflecting more a sign of normalcy. Now, if I wanted something that I don't like from contrarian standpoint, it's the report that, uh, like, for example, Robinhood has experienced, which is a lot of smaller clients, uh, you know, more less sophisticated, smaller size investors reporting a huge increase in accounts buying kind of big mega cap growth stocks, big high name tech stocks. You can guess who some of these names may be. And, you know, that's all well and good until it isn't. But I would just point out that there's something about that that leaves me a bit nervous. Um, By the way, as I'm sitting here recording, we did just get the update for daily test was at 302,099 today. So lower than the, the... uh, last several days that we had seen. Um, and then in terms of positive test from that, it looks like, wow, only, uh, that's really low, only 16,000 out of 302. So I'm doing this uh, right in my head, but I mean, you're going to have an extremely low um, uh, positivity rate there. I'm, let's see, 16, you know, something between 5 and 6% again. Um, so, so, uh, that's, I'll get all those numbers plugged into the covid but again, something between five and 6%, 
as a positivity ratio on over 300,000 attests today. Um, so more good news there. Public policy, uh, a few interesting things in the in the wind right now. I think this idea of the $600 a week federal subsidy on top of state unemployment is dead. I don't think that the, there's going to be the political will to extend it. I think that's a good thing uh, um, because I don't, I don't think it will be good for labor markets if they were to extend it. But I also understand that th- that is where there's a big hurting segment that is in need of some wage uh, support. So one of the ideas that I had thrown out that I've heard from others that I think was heavily being discussed by policymakers was the idea of saying that they're just going to continue to pay it. Even if someone gets a job, they'll just let them still get their benefit through the end of the period that they would have gotten anyways. It doesn't cost the taxpayers any more money, but it doesn't give them an incentive to not go back to work. Um, well, now I heard Larry Kudlow, who is a, a good friend of mine um, and is the National Economic Council director. I have not talked to him about this directly yet. But I saw him in the press over the weekend floating the idea of a back-to-work bonus where they would try to address that disincentive idea with a, a, a one-time lump, uh, uh, payment but not the continued 600 a week. And then Senator Rob Portman of Ohio is floating the idea of a 450-week supplement, so less money and for a lesser period of time but keeping it going along with the um, – that you know when someone does get a job, so it's it's not giving people this incentive to to receive greater money to not work, and yet it, it um, is not actually giving people access to public treasury funds that were really intended for the unemployed. It's kind of a middle ground spot. As best I can tell, and I hear I saw Senator McConnell say this is just not going to happen. They're not going to extend that six hundred a week as is the way the House wrote it. My best guess is they're going to address the 600 a week and one of these competing alternatives or supplemental substitutes will end up getting traction um, so you won't have the whole thing die and you won't have the 600 a week get extended as is. That's my best guess at this time. We're watching it closely. The SBA did publish the rules for forgiveness of the SBA loans. And again, they don't yet reflect the changes that we think are coming to the new bill, including what the Senate agreed to last week. Um, the number I had been given by a U.S. senator was that they were going to extend the amount of time employers had to spend the money from PPP to 16 weeks. It had been eight weeks. I'm now um, hearing that they're pushing for 24 weeks. So I will um, have to keep an eye on that. Uh, 24 weeks is almost half the year where by which employers would have to spend uh, the PPP money, uh, that would probably go a long way for these small businesses and being able to figure, give them the flexibility um, and still maintain forgiveness of that money so they, they weren't having to pay those loans back. By the way, the payroll tax cut, as best I can tell, is still on the table. I mean, I know Elise Larry is still talking about it and the White House is still talking about it. I just don't hear anyone else talking about it. And several people in the Senate are are kind of speaking out against it. So we'll, you know, we'll see where that goes. Oil was up over 3% on the day. WTI crude closing over $34. The Russia energy minister predicting the world oil markets may rebalance as soon as next month, which is just extraordinary. I would love to hear a list of all the experts who were forecasting that over the last uh, six to eight weeks. 
Um, in the housing world, and I'll, I'll go ahead and get ready to wrap it up here. I do want everyone to go to covidandmarkets.com to read the whole report today. Um, I need to do a little more work in the days ahead unpacking some of this regarding Fannie and Freddie. But I think that the post-COVID relationship between government and Fannie and Freddie is going to be really interesting because there was absolutely significant progress out of the Trump administration to kind of untether the taxpayers to these GSEs and, and that, which there had been no progress on that, you know, in over 10 years since financial crisis. But I think that movement towards this kind of quasi privatization has taken a big step back from COVID and that a lot of media outlets and think tanks and, and others are saying, look, the, the heavier hand of government and housing is needed as we saw from COVID because it's one of the only policy tools they have available by their control over mortgage finance. It gives the uh, tool to government to quickly extend support or relief to a lot of the public, which is fair enough. But um, I don't, I, I don't know when they say we wouldn't have a mortgage market at all if it weren't for Fannie Freddie right now, on one hand, I think, okay, well maybe that's true. Maybe it isn't. And on the other hand, if it is true, is that really a good thing? Or does it speak to a, a sort of a moral hazard that really needs to be addressed? It's a complicated subject, but I definitely think it's worthwhile for us to see because, again, the the relationship of housing and mortgage finance to the overall U.S. economy is still substantial. And that was something that, that we thought was going to change a lot after the financial crisis, and it didn't. In a lot of ways, it was doubled down upon, albeit with very different risk and very different construction. But my point being, um, I think this warrants an important analysis as to where Fannie and Freddie are going to be um, after, after COVID. Uh, by the way... Um, this is just crazy. New home mortgage applications, so new purchase, were up 18% last week versus a year ago. Okay? So, and again, that's almost entirely in Fannie Freddie type loan product, meaning the loan amount would have been 510000 or less. So just a substantial um, you know, form, uh, strength formation in housing. The only states seeing substantive decline, by the way, were Massachusetts and Hawaii. Um, other than that, it was pretty much positive, or if it was negative, it was very modestly negative. Um, from a Fed standpoint, um, I think you really are baking in an expectation. You had Vice Chair Richard Corita um, speak several times over the weekend about September, later in the summer, later in the fall, being sort of a timeline, let's call it three to four months out, where they want to look again at what other policy tools may be needed. Um, they he, he is continuing to talk negatively on negative interest rates, but they're certainly talking about how yield curve control needs to be looked at and understood better. Um, I do have at COVIDmarkets.com charts on some of the increase in airline travel, hotel occupancy, and restaurant reservations. And I think that the half full and half empty perspective is this. All the numbers are off of atrociously low numbers, and all of the numbers are quite nicely off of those low numbers. So I'll use the airline as an example. Um, in the last five weeks, domestic airline travelers have tripled from where they were five weeks ago, 
So that sounds pretty good. But year over year, we're still down 87%. But five weeks ago, we were down 96%. So half full, half empty. But again, I want all that data available to understood both the trajectory of economic recovery and the depths of economic distress. Um, So we shall continue watching all of the above. I very much look forward to um, coming to you again tomorrow, Wednesday, with more daily COVID markets. Please, in the meantime, read covidmarkets.com. Reach out with any questions, anything we can do to help you through this very challenging period, trying to provide all the information we can. Thank you for listening to COVID and Markets. The Bonson Group is a group of investment professionals registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free risk. There is no guarantee that the investment process or investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analyses, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary and does not constitute investment advice. The Bonsa Group and Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This document was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the Bonson Group and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates. Hightower Advisors do not provide tax or legal advice. This material was not intended or written to be used or presented to any entity as tax advice or tax information. Tax laws vary based on the client's individual circumstances and can change at any time without notice. Clients are urged to consult their tax or legal advisor for any related questions.